Good morning. You may be seated. It's going to adjust this a little bit. I hope you're all toweled off from this downpour. I know they're going to have to adjust my mic levels because I'm a little bit loud. And I've never used this mic yet. So, yeah, Mark's looking right at me. Um, I feel kind of crowded right now, so I'm just going to move some of this stuff a little bit out of my way. And that way I can wave my arms about without any fear of knocking anything over or damaging anything. To begin, I want to just give you a little bit of history. Decoration Day, we call it Memorial Day now, but Decoration Day, as it was first referred, began as anything else does. It was multiple stories, like one on April 25, 1866, where a group of women in Mississippi went to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers. In May of the previous year, civil, the Civil War had just ended, just to give you, this is 11 months after the war had ended. And so these women went to decorate the graves of fallen Confederate soldiers, and when they were there, they were showing love to the memory and the service of the people that had fought and died in that war. And as they were decorating, this act of love was followed by another. I can't see Phil's face very clearly, so there you go, brother. This act of love was then followed by another, where when they saw the graves of Union soldiers that sat bare and despondent looking, they proceeded to decorate them and honor them as well. And in doing so, they showed that the reason for the decorations was not because the soldiers that had fell were local or were potentially family or friends, but what they were doing was an act of honoring those who would serve and die honorably and worthily for the cause of the nation. And various stories like that popped up around America at that time. And though whichever one is first, some will make claims, it's a mystery, but the desire to honor and revere the fallen from the Civil War was what mattered. After World War I, that desire to honor and revere the fallen extended to all wars, and eventually in 1971 it was declared an act, it was declared by an act of Congress to be a national holiday. So Memorial Day is, all, is about honoring those who have shown themselves worthy, those who knew what and who they were serving and gave everything in service to this people, this nation, and the unalienable rights of freedom that we enjoy and are blessed with. Memorial Day is meant to remind us of those who have died worthy serving our nation. And so let me say, may it also remind us how to live worthy serving our God. That's what I want us to do this Memorial Day. Don't just approach Memorial Day, and, and I'm so glad that Dave set the tone for Memorial Day, and, and honoring those who have served, thank, being thankful, being glad, and looking, not with a sense of what often happens on Labor Day, but with a sense of, you know, this is, this is a day of remembrance. I want us to take that remembrance and apply it to us, because if this is what they could do for a nation, what can we do to live worthy as 
well. So to live worthy of God, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling we have received in Christ. I'm reminded of a passage that I want us to go to. And before we get to that, I realize I haven't introduced myself. My name is, pa- I, well, my name is Scott. I am the pastor of family and discipleship here at Cross Point Church. I'm so glad to see you all. Children, I'm usually one of the main teachers for CP Kids. We do not have it today because it's a vacation weekend. But we're so glad that you are with us here today. And if you are a guest, you have the honor of hearing one of the first verses I ever preached on. And if you're a regular attender, you are hearing one of the first verses that I ever preached on when I felt called to the ministry. This passage had such an effect on my life when I was a new believer that I studied it and wrote about it over and over and over and over and over again until finally I gave what would have probably been an hour and a half message at a college group that went way longer than I intended. So the good news is I control my time now and we will not be looking at an hour and a half message and the better news is that this is a passage that I have soaked in. And so I hope that what I'm speaking to you communicates my love, my affection, and the effect that the Word of God in this specific verse has had on my life. And so the verse that I would have you turn to or read on the screen is Colossians 1, 9, as we seek to learn what it means to walk worthy. And I'm only going to have portions of it up there, so you know, but I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to break it down. Begins And so from the day we heard, this is Paul speaking to a church in the city of Colossae. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me. Lord God, we come before you listening, not to what I am about to say, not to what I am about to preach, but listening to you and what you and your spirit would communicate to us. Help us to learn of our worthiness and help us to walk of our worthiness because we have been called, we have been saved, we have been redeemed. And Lord, if we do not feel that we are worthy, if we question whether we have been called or redeemed, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see your glory today, that you would give us faith, and that we would trust in your work finished on the cross for our behalf, that you have paid the debt of our sin. Lord, help us to learn to walk worthy today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to start by saying 
explaining something we do, and many of you probably have picked up on this over the years, but you might not have noticed what we do as a preaching team. Primarily, we exposit texts. And what that means is that we approach the Bible through a manner in which we see it as something that can be plainly read and thoroughly explained. That there is complications in the scripture and there are things that are hard to understand, but what we seek to do, what Dave, myself, and and the others that have preached seek to do is show you in the scripture what God is communicating. And one of the most effective ways to do that is is to just plainly read it. To just read it. And try and understand what the author is seeking to communicate and what God would have us know. Because there is so much depth of meaning and practicality that can be received when you view it in that such, in that, in that way. And because specifically in this text, Paul is just pouring out. He's pouring out amazing things for us to read. And I want you to know, just coming here and hearing us preach is never going to supply you with all you need. But to read the scriptures and deeply think about them can be the most transformative and clearest way to hear from the Lord. So with that said, I want to just start in verse 9. And so Paul begins, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, here is what Paul is praying for the people in Colossae, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul starts by showing his simple primary desire for this church. He wants them to know God. He wants them to know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is done by him praying for their knowing. That one of my favorite quotes that was made by a Puritan is the idea that friendship is best kept up through visits. And Paul is saying the best way to get to know God is to get to know God. And so I would say develop a friendship with God. Because it's going to entail in what follows. Verse 10. He says all this. Get to know God. Be filled with the knowledge of God, His will and wisdom and understanding for a purpose. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Three details are given about this walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. But I want to just, before we get to that, I want to just start with the word worthy. Because we use worthy and we use worth all the time. But just, I just want to feel it. Worthy is a word and specifically in the original language here, worthy means something that has a high degree of comparable worth or value. I know I use worth over again in the meaning of worthy, but it has a high degree of value. For us, the most logical way to think of that is through money. The money we spend to purchase things. We are, we are deeming something worthy of this much money. But worthy can also be revealed in how we use our time. We are deeming this thing worthy by the amount of time we spend on it. 
We are deeming this thing worthy by the way we feel about it, by the importance we stress on it, by the things we do. And Paul is saying that we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Before I get into more, that's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear because you hear that and you can immediately be crushed because the question then becomes, am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? The question then becomes, what would it take for me to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? The question then becomes, could I ever measure up to a manner worthy of the Lord? Because with quick evaluations, seemingly we are not worthy. As human beings, our worth has been decimated by sin. And sin just seems to destroy worth over and over and over. But as Paul said earlier, we have to proceed in this, filled with the knowledge of God, filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if we're starting there, Paul wouldn't say, get to know God and then figure out how to walk worthy. He wouldn't say that if he was saying that so that you could get to know God and then feel crushed by a crippling weight in which you do not think you could ever measure up to the God who's called you. Because you are worthy. Not because of who you are or because of the sin that may remain in you or because of the past you have. You are worthy because of what Christ has done. Worth was established for us through the revelation of what Christ Jesus accomplished. His death, his burial, his resurrection showed us how God feels about us. Christ was worth us. And not only is that an example of worth, that worth extends to the fact that God not only sent him, that Christ not only died, but that the reality of you being a Christian, a believer, is hinged on one very amazing, mysterious, unclear thing, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. God dwells within you. So a question of worth should be no question at all. There should be no question that we are worthy. Rather, it should be an amazing reminder. You are worthy. You have worth. You have value. You are intended and made for so many great and glorious things. And not only, and I just want to add this, not only is worthiness established in our redemption, but is it established in our creation. We are made in the image of God. All human beings are established with worth. And we must pursue all of mankind with that worth, with the gospel. So that is what God is saying. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but really he's saying, walk as God has intended you to walk with the earth worth 
overflowing. You can see that in people. There are types of people that you can just see that understand they are worthy of things that are going on in their life. At this point, I would probably make a reference to a, like an elected official or a president or something like that in other years. But I don't know if that's a perfect illustration right now. But sometimes you can feel worth coming from someone. They know who they are and they are doing things according to who they are. It's just who they are. And so that's what Paul is saying. This is what Christ has done. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And he says three things, three details about that. I just want to share with you what that means. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Not pleasing to self, pleasing to him. He continues, bearing fruit in every good work. In what you do, are you doing things that are just for the sake of yourself, or is it the sake of more? There is much energy and sacrifice in plants to bear fruit. Let it be so with us as well. And then lastly, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord entails increasing in the knowledge of God. Because it's the best thing. And friendship is best kept up through visits. Now, 11 through 14 continues in this idea, proceeds with how the knowledge of God will bring strength, that strength from God for our lives to walk worthy comes from all power from Him. Not all power within, all power from Him, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. And he continues that in walking worthy, we will give thanks to the Father. We will not say, man, I really talked well to that person today because I'm smart and I'm great and I know how to talk to people. It will give onus. It will give thanks. It will say, Lord, this is only because of you. This is only because of you. Time and time again, as we were working on this building, I felt exceedingly inadequate for any task that was before me. And somehow, by the grace of God, each of those tasks were accomplished without fire hazards, accidents, or trips to the ER. And my point in saying that is that in the midst of that season, thanks was not given to my past. Thanks was not given to my history. Thanks was not given to any capability. Thanks was given to God because I did not know what I was doing. And somehow it got done. There were smarter men that knew what they were doing, but I didn't. Thankfully, they checked my work. But so giving thanks to the Father, and he finishes by just saying, this is what God has done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom, his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All this is important so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because walking 
To walk, it doesn't just happen. It's not just a snap of the fingers. Walking proceeds from practice. We have a, we have a little girl named Sadie. She is eight and three quarters months old at this point or so. She is not crawling at this point. She likes to scoot around and she likes to spin herself. She won't crawl forward, but she loves to stand. And it's fascinating watching her stand because standing doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't even understand the aspects of fully what happens if she takes a step. She might fall forward or I might urge her feet to go forward to train her a little bit. But to go from infant to walking to running is an exceedingly difficult and complicated thing. We are... We are glorious creations. Do not overlook the fact that what God has done in creating you. You are complicated, you are amazing, and it is a blessing to be who we are. And so that is what I think when I look at Sadie. It's like, oh, she's making paces, she's making steps, she's trying things. I contrast that with myself in high school. I tried cross-country in high school, and it was a bad idea. I was lazy. I did not want to run. I wasn't a believer at the time, so I will explain why I was in cross-country. Like, what? if you don't like running, why would you join cross-country? It was a bargain I had made with the head of our class that he would let me copy certain portions of his biology notebook in order to get the best grade I could in biology. And it was an, he gave me that in exchange for joining cross-country. He did not know who he was asking. He could have gotten much better things from me, but that was a bad idea. And so, walking and running became, oh, asthma attack. Oh, shin splint. It's warm out. And it was just a bad idea. I'm a much better runner now, and I did have, um, I had asthma that was induced by athletic work, but... I, I'm, I, I've gotten over that too. But there was just so much of me that was just unwilling. I was I'd like a stroll, like a five-minute stroll. I was all for that. But to try and run three miles was not something that was on my bucket list. And so I want to ask you, are you training like a child seeking to get to the next stage of life or are you training like the laziest high schooler you've ever met who just says, I think I have another injury today. Uh, my game knee is really not working out. How are you growing? How are you walking? How are you developing? And there's a fun word that I've used. What is your gait? A gait is the way that you walk. Everybody has their own gait. It's all individualized, the way your foot strikes the ground, the way your legs work, the damage it does to your knees, as Don can attest. There are all ways that our walking develops. And so our walking can reveal what we are doing. Even the pace, the speed that we walk at, it can reveal what we are doing and what is going on in our lives. And so we need to find our gates, because walking in a manner of the worthy of the Lord is developed, it is both individual and group-shaped, and it is progressive. 
It is developed. You don't just walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because you set out to say, I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You grow it. You study it. You learn it. You, as you proceed in life, you learn ways that you need to change. It's individual and group shape. Your walk is your walk. It's your walk. You are going to walk at the pace that you are going, but there is encouragement found in others. There's direction found in others. Someone can tell you walking on the sides of your feet is a poor decision if you want to make it far. Trying to walk backwards every way is probably wrong. There are ways in which other believers can help your walk be in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then lastly, it is progressive. The way you walk today is going to look different than the way you walk 10 years from now. Don't measure today by 10 years from now or 10 years ago. But to clarify that and to make it simple, I want to just take us to one of the most treasured yet most, yet most misused passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. We've all heard this passage. We've heard it at weddings and we've enjoyed it. It was read at my wedding. It is a great passage, but we do ourselves a disservice by thinking that its focus lies solely in marital love, or primarily in marital love. We might not think that it's solely about that, but because of the emphasis we've made with it, we don't connect it in the way that it was meant to be connected. It was so much deeper than just being a preparation for marriage. It was an everyday for the church, type of thing. And Paul starts in another letter to the church in Corinth by talking about it. And I just want to note a few things that give context to why love was important for the church and why love is important for our walk. He starts by saying, before 13.1, he says, I will show you a more excellent way. He was speaking to people that were gifted for the church, but he's trying to say, your gifts count for nothing if you don't know this. It starts, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Just to clarify, what he's saying is if I was preaching up here and it wasn't coming from love, me pounding on the table would be just as effective. Because if love isn't what's coming behind the preaching, uh, behind the teaching, then what is being said is worthless. It's the baby talk that me and Hannah hear. It's great to hear the baby talk, but the love behind it is more important than the baby talk. Baby talk doesn't mean anything. But it continues in verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Again, being strong or gifted or capable, if love is absent, meaningless. And then in three, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 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 Nothing is a deep, dark word. Nothing is an absence. It just feels <coughs> terrifying. We don't 
look at nothing as badly as nothing truly is. And what Paul is saying here is there is a deep, dark emptiness if love is not present. Then he goes on. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Those phrases are not just an encouragement to couples. Those phrases are not just encouragements to families. These words, what Paul was saying, was directed at the whole of the church and their interaction. These words were directed so that people would look at the way they are walking, if it was worthy of the Lord, and saying, is love being expressed? When you love, are you patient and kind? As you love, do you envy other people or are you boastful? As you love, are you arrogant or even rude? Do you insist on your own way in love? Are you irritable or resentful with your love? Does your love rejoice when something bad happens to a person? Or does your love rejoice with truth? Do you bear all things? Do you believe the best things? Do you hope for the best things? And do you endure through the worst things? In this translation, it doesn't get it, but there, there's other translations that keep so many of them. But one I was... There's, there's a phrase that comes from the CSB, from the Christian Standard Bible, and it goes... Love is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. There is a freedom in love to be as Christ is. And too often we try and say, I'm going to love as Christ has loved. But we look at this list and say, oh, but I can't do that. I can't put up with that. But they've done this to me. You know, as I look at them, I've done so much more. I was talking with my brother the other night, and I was... I was, um, what's the best way to say this, embarrassed at myself for the way I have loved him in the past because of ways I have questioned things he's done or in brotherly affection said, oh, you know, he just makes, he does weird things sometimes. I just don't get it. And looking at this passage, it was just a big slap in the face. Like, hey, wake up. This is your brother. You're, you've known him all of your life. You are so close to him. And yet you do not love him the way you would preach. 
be ashamed and repent. So the next day after I had been so thankful for the conversation we had had, I I wrote him a note just saying, I do not honor you the way that I should. I do not love you the way that I should. I'm sorry if I don't tell you how blessed I am to be your brother. It was so, and he just took it with a, oh, thanks. That's what brothers do. But that that was the sense of this text on my heart for someone who, for the longest time, I considered one of my best friends. And yet, in the urgency and speed of adulthood, had overlooked. And so I would just encourage you, if you want to measure, if you want to change, if you want to grow your walk, and to do it in a manner worthy of the Lord, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And immediately repent, because you're going to feel terrible. But at the same time, look at it as God lovingly and graciously picking you up off the ground and setting you on your feet and saying, I am going to show you how to walk. Just start by trying to take that step forward, by trying to say, what thing do I have to change if it is just patience? That is a five-year plan. It is not an immediate change. It is a five-year plan. Get your love to look the way the gospel would have it be. Because love, true, deep, gospel-soaked, God-exalting love will reveal a person, a church, who walks in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the world will not ignore someone like that. The world will be astonished. And the world will ask why. And if you're walking that way, you'll say why. You'll say why. And you'll speak truth. Because truth and love are inseparable. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for love. And right now, I just, as I think of walking in a manner worthy of you, Lord, worthy of your gospel, worthy, worthy of the calling that you have received, the so many ways that you have written about us walking worthy, I cannot help but think of how worthy you have made us. Of how we were worthless. But that, but, but you are just, you are so great and glorious and you just do amazing things. So thank you for calling us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us. Now help us as we grow and as we repent and as we seek to love. Help us to examine ourselves. Let this pursuit of love not be one in which we put love upon other people and say, why don't they measure up to these demands? But Work within us and help us to love 
and know the love that you have revealed through your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.